If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we're in Exodus today. So as the lights come on and we, we look, we are going all the way back to the beginning of our Bible, the second book of the Bible. And it's remarkable, you know. You know why it's remarkable? In some huge, important way. It's remarkable because it's 3,500 years old. Just think of that for a minute. Think about we're going to study today. We're going to go into the word of God and hear something and, and, and consider and read the oldest book you'll ever read. Like there's no other copies of anything else even. 3,000, and that's, that's if you take, you know, the dating that Moses wrote, Exodus, which is the second book of the Pentateuch, the Bible. But, but even if, you're, if you don't, and you're like, this is more modern, it's still the oldest book you'll ever read. Because no matter how you take this, it was written a long time ago. <laughs> and the message, you guys, what we get to see of God and who he is as he begins to reveal. This is amazing. It's the oldest document we'll ever read. And you say, okay, I'm interested. It's telling a story, a preserved story that's true about who God is, right? It's part of a larger story. We saw that last week. It started with and, and these are the names. is the literal title of the book, which is how it starts, connecting it to what came before. All the way back to the creation of people. Not, not just a random story of God delivering some person you've never heard of, but what it means for God to interact with people. And, and, and we get to start to look at that deeper. And amazingly, Today, the story of God, how he brought salvation to us in Jesus Christ. That's what this book is going to be about, because that's what God's been about. And there's, there's something afoot. God's revealing who he is, and it's always been about Jesus so much more than we can ever think. And it even starts 3,500 years ago. I mean, think about it. That's like 10 times how long America's been around. That's longer than anyone I can trace back genealogies to, except genealogies found in this book. It's remarkable. God is so different than me is the main thing, you know. What do I mean? Well, I'm a pretty modern guy. <laughs> okay. Okay, I've got weeds in my yard. <laughs> I do. I'm not weeding enough, so I got, I got all excited. I, I got uh, one of those tools. You ever see them on Amazon? They... they uh, they're like stand-up weed removers. They got three prongs, and you can just stick them in the ground, and you kind of put it in, and you put your foot on it, and you pull back, and it plucks the weed right out. It's so cool. I ran around my yard, and I have like 350 holes in the lawn because I had all these weeds, you know, and I'm, I'm plucking one out and doing one out, and it's working great, and it lives a big divot, but it's fun because I can just do it while I'm standing up. And <laughs> What a great tool. Here's the thing. How do I know what's a weed? Well, anybody knows what a weed is. We have this innate thing, right, where we're making distinctions all the time. How do we make those distinctions? How do we know? If I put a Pinto and a Ferrari in front of you, you which one would you pick? Don't say Pinto. You go, man, the Ferrari, at the very least, I'll sell it and I'll buy 500 Pintos. I know kind of this idea of weight and value and things in my, and, and, and it's there, right? And the modern idea that we have tools that get things done and things that we do just, just modifies this idea of me determining what's good, what's bad. Those things that are, that are happening 
The difference between a Rolex and a Timex. I know which one's better. We think we've got the answers. I don't even think about it. I just want the tools so I can accomplish what I know right and wrong is, what I know what God's supposed to act and what he's supposed to do and rescue. I, I know what a weed is. I know. Remember the parable of wheat and the tares in Jesus' day when Jesus finally says, hey, let them both grow. I'll take care of it. The whole concept there is maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know. Maybe I just think I know. God's at work in hidden ways, and I don't understand. I'm smaller than I know. I know less than I think I do. Even the assumptions, I should step back and go, wait a minute. What's going on? Because in our, in our text today, God's at work hugely, and it's not what you do, modern person. I want to walk you through. I mean, we started last week with this very practical problem that the Pharaoh had there. He had all these people and they're, they're multiplying because that was the command of God and he just did it. He made them multiply. But that's a problem because it impacted him negatively. Too many people and if they went with another, another group, then maybe it'd be dangerous to his people. So he said, well, we've got to stop them. And so he stopped them first by working them. That didn't work. So then he stopped next by using his power and authority to try and browbeat the midwives, we saw that, that didn't work. And we ended last week with this, with this passage. Pharaoh commanded his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Finally, he just went right to his own people and he said, you know what? Drown the boy babies. And the chapter ended. You think that sounds right? That sounds something good to do? No, that sounds horrible to do, right? But his final solution, just have his own people kill every male baby and born to these people. And, and, and you know what? I know. I know this is wrong. So I think if I were God, I would squash that puppy right there. Pharaoh would die. A heart attack? Random lightning bolt. Something would happen where this solution of murdering babies would stop. Boom. Right? I mean, come on, be with me. I, 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 I love life. I, I'm against murder. Murder's wrong. I know it's wrong. I know what God should do. He should get that guy. Get him now. Okay, so that's the context with which chapter two starts, you know. We're in chapter two. We've got to talk about these strange happenings because it's a little strange. It should be to you. Okay, chapter two, here we go. Now, verse one. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, as his wife, a Levite woman. Okay, so you right away you ride and you're a student of the Bible. You say, oh, Levites, I know them. They're the priests. They're kind of like the rep. They're, they're always a good, pretty much. I mean, they're before God. Wait a minute. Is there a priesthood? No. Is there a temple? No. Is there a tabernacle? No. It's just all foreshadowing. There's a ton of foreshadowing. God's looking ahead. Look, a priestly, a priestly to be family. They have a child. 
And the woman conceived, it says in verse 2, and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. So, 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 ah, sometimes I don't like our Bible translations. I don't know what you have. It should say, you saw that he was good. The word there, tov, is the word God used. When did he use it? In Genesis chapter 1. He created him, male and female. And he saw that it was good. It's not fine. It's good. So here's his mom, and she has a, a child, and, and he says, this is good. Why is it good? Because God's declared it good. It's good, and, and, and I'm with her. Right? God made man, and, and male and female, he declared it was good. What God has made is good. And here's the world is trying to destroy it, and this is, this is why I'm pro-life, Right? Because God makes life and it's good. Echoes of God himself declaring what he has made good. And in, in, instead of life out of chaos, the chaos now is the world in opposition to what God's done. And so she gives birth and, and, and there, there it is. It's good. Echoes right from creation. But it's dangerous. You guys ever seen the movie, A Quiet Place? I haven't seen it, but I read the synopsis just so I could talk about it. Because, because I thought it was such a good thing, you know, because how dangerous it was right here. Because in the movie, it's like these, that you have to be super quiet because there's these aliens out there. And if you make any noise, they're attracted to noise. So you just got to be quiet. Well, that's, that's the mom of this baby. Because all the Egyptians out there are going, where are the male kids? Guess what they're listening for? A cry. Noise. Something where they're saying, they'll take that baby. And, is it a male baby? Okay, into the Nile it goes. Let's drown it. Oh. So she's trying, doing stuff, but eventually, it says, right? That, that's what's going on. So eventually, it says, when she could hide him no longer, not talking about he's old, it's talking about he's making more noise. They're going to find him, and they're going to kill him because that's what's going on, and God hasn't stopped it, and there is no God in this picture. There's just life happening, and there's a problem, and people against people, and, and, and this is bad stuff. And, and oh. So... She took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch and she put the child in it. She placed it among the reeds by the river bank and there's the sister there and the sister stood in a distance to know what would be done to him and you're like, oh, that's kind of a fun story. No, 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 wait. It's super deep. What do you mean? So she can't keep him so she makes it's not a moses basket they call them moses baskets now because you make these little baskets and you put a little baby in it and his name's not even moses right now he's just a baby we don't know his name and it says she makes an ark that's the word it's only one other place in the bible like that genesis chapter six there's another guy who made an ark god said make an ark and go on in it and the water's going to come, and you'll be on this water, but I'll save you, and I'll save you to save. So here's the mom, and the mom says, hey, this is good, like the creation mandate. And she says, this is good, and then she takes her baby, and she makes an ark, and she puts the baby in it, and she puts the ark on where? The water. Dude, are we so dumb not to see that that's totally what's going on? This is a rehash of Noah. God creating a people. But there's no God. It's just happening, right? This flavor of what, what's going on. 
This is a salvation story. Look at God work, and, and it isn't by stopping the slaughter. Wait a minute. No, it's by providing a Savior. Something so important to God that he's, he's, he's allowing the death of his precious ones, life that he's declared good, and he has declared it good, but there's something so much more important that you see that 3,500 years of people reading this story is so important to God that he says, this is what you need to see. There's a Savior, see? Something's happening deep and important. Sisters watching this little baby, Noah. I mean, this little baby, unnamed. Floats in the little basket, little ark on the waters that were drowning other male children. And, and look, wow, this is... <laughs> now the daughter of Pharaoh, it says in verse, verse 5, it says, now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to the bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. It's remarkable, right? It's remarkable. Wow, Pharaoh's daughter, royalty, bathing along the Nile, and a little ark comes up, and she opens, oh, it's a baby, and, and whoa. She doesn't kill it. That, that's the command. That's the rule. She has compassion instead. One individual, that's all it takes, a certain individual, the heart of that person engaged. And, and who's in charge of the hearts again? God is. But it doesn't say, and God moved her heart. It just says, this happened. Oh, look, random thing. Little baby floating on the water. Oh, Pharaoh's daughter comes. Oh, look, little baby. Oh, oh what a cute little baby. I don't know. It didn't say coo. It says cry. Does that make it still cute? I guess it does. She, she, she wants it, right? She wants it. So then his sister's there and, and, and says to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and she called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter talks to the mother. Pharaoh's daughter says to her, take the child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. This is so amazing, this hand of God unseen, Right? Something's wild is going on. Strange, because God isn't even mentioned. Pharaoh's daughter takes a fancy to the baby. She decides to keep him. She needs someone to nurse the baby. Oh, look, here's a nursing mom that can, that can take the baby. Oh, we're not, she doesn't know. It's his mom. And so, so I'll pay you money to nurse and take raise this baby. And pay me money to take care of my own child? Maybe it is a modern story. No, no, but seriously. It's amazing, right? It's this idea that, that, that God's in it. And, and yes, so she, the baby comes back to mom and Pharaoh's going to pay her, Pharaoh's daughter, wages. And they're protected. He doesn't die. Don't miss, you guys, that all around him, babies are dying. This one doesn't. But tons do. I mean, that's the implication, Right? says, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses. Because she said, I drew him out of the water. The moan means drawn. 
And so now he gets a name. It's an Egyptian name. It's total ignorance of God and who he is. He's pagan to the core. He's adopted into Pharaoh's family. What an amazing story that echoes creation and, 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 and echoes Adam and echoes the flood. And, and Noah looks forward to this child that's going to come and be a savior. And, and I remember, I remember, don't you? I remember another child who's going to be born 1,500 years later. When another decree will be, hey, let's kill all male infants under two. And so he gets to run off to Egypt and therefore fulfilling out of Egypt, I will call my son. This is 3,500 years ago. And God's putting together a story that points to Jesus, your savior. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of death, in the midst of wrongness. And and, and there he is. It points to that one. The most amazing part of it to me is God works entirely behind the scenes. He doesn't establish right-handed heavy justice. He uses this crazy bad wrong decree. He actually pokes his finger at it by using it to to show the salvation that's going to come in Christ. The, The evil of Pharaoh glorifies God. Can I say that? No, the only thing that really glorifies God is when people do a good thing. No, God is glorified by what he does. And there's no question God's working. Do you think he's not working today? He was working then. This very command to kill the babies, that's what prompts action to get Moses exactly where he's supposed to be because he's the savior God wants. He's this picture of a savior, right? And God's amazing and the points forward to this one son of man and son of God will be our savior by God's plan at the right time. He's never late. He's never surprised. He's never scrambling. He's never thwarted. He's never shocked. He loves to do things differently. That's our God. He's working in your life to do what he wants and he's he's for us which is amazing you don't know that yet there's plenty yet to go here's moses and and there's plenty of strange happenings but then even to me more remarkable there's some normal happenings that's more shocking to me than what i just read because i love the idea of god prefiguring jesus by bringing bringing the ark through the waters of chaos in the midst of death and here comes the salvation even of his people and Moses is there and God's in it and it's amazing and cool and my heart beats faster. But then there's the next piece where I get to realize, wait a minute, God's working in very normal ways too and it's even more surprising. Let's look. Okay, so verse 11. One day Moses had grown up. Okay, stop there just for a minute. So grown up in that context, I mean, they had their grown up was means he's a teenager or it could mean even further that he's, he's almost 30. It depends how you're thinking about the generations there. But at least five years, 10 years, 15 years go by. Did the decree change? Did fewer babies die? No. Did God stop all that stuff from happening? No. Surely that decree was only for a couple months and then it was, no. There's every indication that that life is just happening on and Pharaoh's handling the problem by killing male infants and, 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 and God is working. But I don't know where he is. 
That, that, that ought to trouble me a little bit, but that's kind of normal. I don't see God. God doesn't show up like a blazing light in the sky. There's just like circumstances are happening, and, and, and Moses is growing up, and, and, and there it is. And he, he went out to his people, and he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. <coughs> and I think, okay, it's time. Don't you? Moses, chosen savior, he's grown up. He's in a position of power given by God. The most normal thing in the world to start to use that power that God had given him. The kind that Joseph, right? Remember Joseph, the end of Genesis? That God took him from the, 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 the nobodiness of, of being a slave and he rose him up to the second highest position in all the land where he had power to save his family when they came down. Amazing, cool story where, where, where God used him. And now we've got Moses and he's Pharaoh's kid. And he sees, uh, he's the good guy. He sees the Egyptian beating a Hebrew. It's time to act. And um, this, here it is. Let's see the action. He's going to rise a revolt. He's gonna, he looked this way and that. What is he doing? I'm afraid that people might see me, what I'm about to do. Right? I don't want anyone to see. It's kind of furtive, that means. He went out the next day. There he is. He, he, no, he looked this way and that, seeing nobody. He struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. What? No, 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 work that through with me. He doesn't need to be Pharaoh's son to do that. You could have stayed, you could have just like hid in the bushes. Your, your mom could have hid you in the bushes. You don't need this, this amazing story of you in a basket and going around. You could just hide in the, in the bushes for a while and then you could be, grow up to become a, a worker there and, and you could go ahead and kill a, a, an Egyptian. What? And he's furtive. He's, he's burying him in the dirt. He's hiding. This is the savior? When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. <laughs> two Hebrews are fighting. As he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? What are you doing, man? That's not right. And the guy answered, well, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed this Egyptian? Ooh, <laughs> he was seen. He thought he was going to get away with it. Of course he was. Everybody knows you. Everybody knows you. You got no moral authority. I saw you kill that guy. You tried to hide it, but there's no way to hide. So, so Moses is afraid, right? He's afraid he's found out. For, for what? Taking the Hebrew side? This is the noble savior? Moses was afraid, right? He thought, surely the thing is known. He's right. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he thought to kill Moses. So Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My whole story just went to punk. What, what happened? I get this amazing story of the Savior, and he's going to come, and he's coming through the water and the reeds, and like a little glow over his basket, and he's a recreating creation, and he's recreating the flood, and, and here's God saving him through it. And now he's grown up, and we have this next phase, and the picture is totally different than I would choose. This is a weed. 
we've got to pluck him out and we'll reuse somebody else. Was there a Moses Jr.? I want to redo. God's at work, right? God is totally at work and it offends me. This is not the guy. I don't think this should be the guy. I don't think this is, this can't be right. I don't like it. And he's afraid of people and he's not standing up for the right thing and he's fleeing Pharaoh. Now he's in this position and now the position's gone and he was at the right hand of position. He was adopted to his family. He could have used his influence to help make things better. Maybe get this crazy, horrible decree change that's murdering babies. It's terrible. And it's ripped away because of his own failings. This This whole salvation thing maybe is a little different than I would have thought. The Savior might be a little different than I think. And I know he's pointing lecture to the greater. I'm in no way even for a second hinting that Jesus Christ was like this. No way. He was perfect in every single way. Absolutely perfect. But this is the picture of the Savior that God's painting of how he's going to work. So how is God working? What is he doing He's working in totally surprising ways. But now in a very normal life, you see injustice like he did, and passionately he jumped in and he did something, but he murdered. He committed sin because that's how we roll. We get worried about people finding out about us, whether we can get away with something. And here's God underneath it all, unnamed, unknown. And remember, Moses has no idea who God is. Well, he knew from a young age. No, he didn't. He's not reading Exodus. It hasn't been written. He's going to write it. Remarkable. And God uses his life, his normal living, his sinful living, his existence to get him exactly where he's supposed to be. Where's that? Well, he's in the land of Midian. He's an outcast. He's a nobody. He has no sin. In fact, he's not even standing. He's sitting, right? He sat down by a well. No, I guess I'll just take a seat. A little water here. I can just hang out. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what life has for me. I threw it all away. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and they drew water and they filled the troughs to, uh, to water their father's flock. So they're sitting there filling these containers of water to feed the flock of seven gals and they're there at the will it's a priest of Midian that doesn't mean he's a godly priest it means he is a pagan priest he's worshiping idols it's a worship of the one true God in Midian so the shepherds they came and they drove them away Get away from our water. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. So when they came home to their father, Ruel, that's probably his personal name. You would know him probably more. We're going to see more of him with his priestly name, which is probably Jethro. And said, how is it that you've come home so soon today? Why didn't it take you so long, uh, daughters of mine? And, And they said, well, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. An Egyptian. But that's who he is. No, he's not. He's a Hebrew. Yeah, but he looks like an Egyptian. He is Egyptian. He's a Pharaoh's family. But he'd done something kind for them. 
And so the guy says to his daughters, he says, well, where is he? Have you left the man? Call him that we may eat bread. And so Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. Interesting, huh? Sounds like a great guy. Bring him by. So it says, well, he's content to dwell with a man. That means Moses hung out with him probably for years. It's like, well, Moses came and for a day was with him. Yeah, thanks, but I'm on a mission from God. Uh, oh, well, let me look, give me your daughter first. Okay, great. She can come along. No, he's content to dwell. It means day after day, month after month, year after year, Moses is content to live his life out in Midian away from all of this. While what's happening, by the way? Brutal suffering and slavery. Killing of infant children. Bah. I'll live my life. And he gets married. Not just has married to the daughter of this pagan priest, but then he, he, he has a kid. First of a couple. He said, you gave birth to a son, and she called his name Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. Right? That name means a stranger there. So here's Moses. He's now married to a pagan priest's daughter with a son. It sure much seemed like nothing's going on. No change in oppression. Those years are going by. The fun story of Moses when he was a kid, that was strange. But now it's just normal living, daily living. That's the story, right? The second part of the story isn't less important than the first. The first part that echoes all of Genesis in the wonder of Genesis 6 and the amazing acts of God and strange things is, is not unlike the second half of the story that's like Moses, who's a screw-up. What's underneath all of it? It's the same thing that's underneath your life. What? God at work. Why? Because the chapter's not done check out this. This has all been the introduction to the end of the chapter. Here's the introduction. Here comes God. He built all this up and then the introduction. Here it is. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help and their cry to rescue from slavery came up to God and God, it says, this is the mention of God and, the, and here it is, it's the, God gets into, this is the introduction of God. God heard their groaning and God remembered the covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Boom, end of story, end of chapter. Curtain comes down, we're finished with the introduction. And God. Did, did you see it? See how amazing that is? The whole little introductory story is really leading up to this statement because God's already started working. He's already planning and doing. He's already undermining Pharaoh. He's already going to do all the things he does to point so amazingly to the one savior we have and we need, Jesus Christ, to our only hope, which is not in ourselves. And he does it right here at the end by doing boom. God what? Look at the verbs. God heard their groaning. He is a God who hears. I don't care if it doesn't sound like it. I don't care how many years have gone by. I don't know what it is. God hears his people. He hears our suffering. What's the next one? God remembered. God doesn't ever forget. 
He puts our sins away, right? But he remembered what his relationship, his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, his covenant with this people. He remembers his people. He remembers who are his and that's what I'm his. Why? Because I trust Jesus and Jesus is it. But God remembers. He doesn't forget. He sees the people of Jacob, the people of Israel. That's Jacob's name, right? All his kids and grandkids and great-grandkids who have now populated and he's told them to because he made it happen. And then it says... God saw. And then that last one. God knew. What do you think that is? It's the most interesting, isn't it? It's the last one. It's the last one in the text too. It says everything God knows. He knows what he's doing. He knows exactly all of it. He knows the hearts. He knows the people. He knows the actions. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what has happened. He knows everything, and he knows exactly what he's going to accomplish. He knows. It's not dependent on Moses and how great Moses has been. It's not dependent on whether Moses ends up in Midian. It's not dependent on anything else. It's, it's him working. He knew every single molecule. He knew. So what we, we are seeing from the multiplying, as he said, to Moses, his creation, that is good, to him saving him through an ark, to his casting out from the world, it's all exactly as he knew. Well, I want to cut out the second half of the chapter from the first, honestly, because the second half of the chapter, Moses is being a punk, and he's a weed. We'll just keep the good stuff in the beginning. Are you crazy? God knows, and he is about the whole thing. You don't take a piece away. No one else knows. No one else even knows God. They're not crying out to him for rescue. They're just crying out. He's unknown, hidden, working in the dark, not noticed, seemingly absent, apparently far off, and yet he isn't. He has a plan, and it's working exactly as he wants, and that's the observation of the Bible, not just Exodus. Why do I say that? Because how did Genesis end? And then with Joseph and the, his, his 11 brothers, and they're gathered around him, and he's going, you know what? You meant this for evil. You did evil to me. But what? God worked it for good. I have so much trouble with that. I do. I have this idea that God's always just about the good and the evil he's going to stomp on, but actually God uses the evil, and, and this is so crazy, and I don't understand it, I don't like it, but I'm not God, and neither are you. And so today, as we close... Simply this, our hope is in the work of God. He moves underneath and around and in ways you will marvel at, but never guess. The whole message is bound up in this universe-shattering move of Jesus Christ, Messiah, coming to earth and dying for you and me. It's the most evil thing ever, that we killed God. You know what I really want? I, I just, I'm, I'm... I'm a little bit like a teenage girl. I, what I really want is makeup. What I really want is to cover up my blemishes, to act like they're not there, to get rid of the acne, to actually make sure that I look good. And what God is after is actually true all the way through, inside in the heart that no one else sees. And he's working 
He's working salvation that's deeper, more amazing than anything we can dream. And his wonder salvation is not a simple declaration of crushing power and right-handed strength. It's so different. He's taking what the world does in rebellion and actually using it for his glory. And Pharaoh's horrible decree is to the glory of God. And, 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 and that blows my mind because God had already planned to use it for his own purposes and glory. Everybody dies, you know. It's only in Christ that we live. We think we have all the answers. I know what right and wrong is. I know how God is supposed to act and who God is supposed to rescue. I know what a weed is and I pull it from my lawn. I don't water it. So we need to think this morning that God sees way differently than us. We're so dumb. We're so mixed up and wrong, but we have a God who has us. That's our message. That's my hope, is that you would actually put your trust in a God who actually exists and has you. He is not far off. He is not weak. He is not, he only looks that way. You can't even judge your life. You can, you can trust something that God will use you exactly as he wants, and it will be wondrous to be with him forever in heaven. You live The deep secret of our lives is that our value isn't in God using at all. It's about God hearing and God remembering and God seeing and God knowing because God acts for you and me. Take it to heart. He's doing it right now. And this is it. He makes everything new. We have such a God. His name is Jesus. We'll be with him forever. Take hope wherever you are this moment, whatever circumstances you're in, because our God reigns. Let's pray.